Good morning, everybody. It's good to join you on this last uh, message in our mission series. You know, the uh, Paul starts out this passage, it is superfluous or it is unnecessary or for me to write about to you about the ministry of the saints. And I feel similar uh, in this church because we're going to talk about what it means to give and participate in the in the movement of the gospel and the building of the kingdom uh, outside of our immediate sphere. And uh, as a church, you all have been very generous and uh, sacrificial in the, in the work of giving to the needs of the saints and to the building of the kingdom. So we'll, we'll work through this message and, and conclude with some details. Um, but here we are. Series, uh, message number 13 in our series on our mission as a church. We've worked, worked through some key passages in the text uh, that undergird the way we think about mission in this world. We've looked at cultural realities that we have to face as we seek to take the text and apply it to our culture. And then we've addressed the various fronts that we have, uh, those, those ministry engagement fronts, and how we operate as households and individuals and as house churches and as an organized church and addressing those those things and so this last front is building the kingdom serving a movement serving the expansion of the gospel and the establishing of churches around the world and how we do that so this uh, this this summer we're going to address racism and this fall we're going to dig down into work and the second coming of Christ, and we're also going to spend time as a leadership team and as house church leaders praying and planning for uh, this fall and for, for 2022. And so we've, we've had a challenging year, and this series has been instrumental in, in kind of ramping us up to look, for, uh, look toward the future, um, to look toward what life is going to be like as a church. Um, for the, the coming year, these kinds of opportunities, things get shaken up. Things get shaken up. And um, it gives us the opportunity to, to look at what we've been doing, seeing where some improvements need to be made, seeing what we can strengthen, the good things that we already did do, uh, to look at some things that we need to stop doing. Um, we've actually had uh, some some individuals and households that have left the church, some in disagreements over theology and mission. We've had a, we have had some folks troubled with our, with our uh, like the message that came out of the series on uh, prog Christian progressivism, and just did not feel comfortable with our stances on sexuality and gender and, and some of those types of things. And we've had some, some folks leave due to our stance on Christian nationalism, believing that, that we should be more aggressive in our, in our uh, posture against uh, the cultural changes and, and engagement in politics. And so it's, a, it's, it's been a shaking and moving time for everybody, as individuals, as households, as house churches, as a church, we've had a lot of people just move throughout the Twin Cities, and so we're looking at a kind of some shuffling and reshuffling of house churches and makeup of house churches. And so, this mission, this series on mission, has been instrumental, and and I think it has helped us all rethink about who we are and what we're doing and what we're what we're going to do ahead. And so, uh, thanks for your engagement in it so far, the seriousness at which you've been taking it. And we just continue to pray as a church that we um, 
are constantly in this, this place of renewal and growth as we seek the, the Holy Spirit and strive to fulfill the purposes of God. And so the text today, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 15, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And so when you read Achaia in the text, Achaia is the region that the city of Corinth was in. So Achaia is the Corinthians, and the Macedonians are simply the, the Philippians. Okay, those are more familiar identifications to us from the text. Uh, so they're in a bit of a challenging situation, Paul and the Corinthians. And so uh, Paul had planted this church. He'd spent about a year and a half in Corinth. He had preached the gospel. He'd established a church. There were a number of house churches that were meeting throughout the city of Corinth, and some, some challenges came up. Paul had to, to kind of step into a situation where the whole church was allowing uh, incest to take place, and so Paul really had to, he had to really confront them as, as a church, and it created some conflict and some tension because of the, the force at which he had to address it. He also had planned to stop by and meet with the church for a while, but his plans were frustrated, and so he wasn't able to fulfill that. And so so things weren't easy between Paul and the Corinthian church, and in the midst of all this, um, Paul had had a long-term effort um, since he had visited the saints in Jerusalem. So the saints in Jerusalem, after the, st the stoning of Stephen in, that is recorded in Acts chapter 7, the, the, believing, the, the believers in, in Jerusalem fled, all except for a small group uh, the apostles and a small group of disciples, they stayed in Jerusalem, um, but due to the persecution that the, that the, the Jews were um, levying against the Christians, they were really in some very financially difficult circumstances. And so one of the things that Paul committed to do as he preached the gospel and started churches throughout the, the Roman Empire was to raise funds from among these new churches to support those, those um, suffering believers and apostles in Jerusalem. And so a year prior to the writing of this letter, the, the, the churches at Corinth had, had committed a certain amount of money to the need. And so with the tension that existed, um, Paul, was, Paul was worried that they weren't going to fulfill their commitment and had heard some grumblings from the church that that was the case. And so he wrote the letter of 2 Corinthians to, to kind of defend himself and his ministry, to explain some of the challenges that existed and why they existed and why he wasn't able to make the trip, um, and to encourage them to, to keep their commitment to support those apostles and disciples in Jerusalem. So he sent a team of people, and he wrote this letter, making sure that they would fulfill that pledge. And so in that, he, he gives a number of important principles for us to consider as we think about contributing to the expansion of the gospel. And so the apostles were continuing to, to, to preach the gospel and to visit places where the gospel hadn't preached hadn't been preached, and they were starting churches. They were supporting a network of churches as well from a, from a teaching standpoint. Uh, and so they were not just supporting them so they could meet their daily needs, although that they were, but they were also continuing to support the, the strength and expansion and the validity of the gospel in those spheres. And so we're going to look at principles that Paul gave the Corinthian church to, to encourage them in their already strong commitment to, to give and to um, sacrifice for the, 
support of the disciples and the expansion of the kingdom. And so the first, the first principle that he gave them is, is one that God has embedded into every aspect of his creation. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. So this has applications in farming, in business, in, in, in whatever thing that you do. The harder you work at it, the more sacrifices make, you make, the more you invest, it's going to produce an outcome. That is in the very character and nature of God. And it's central to the gospel. God gave all that he had in his beloved son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth as a human being, for him to leave his glory, for him to give up his life. He shed his blood. He gave his life. Now, he resurrected from the dead, and God promised that he would do that. So God knew that in that sacrifice and in that investment, he wasn't losing Yes, it was going to cause suffering in the form of death to his human son, Jesus. Jesus suffered as a human being, so it was an excruciating degree of, of pain and suffering, the most of which was being separated from God. Because there was a separation from God that Jesus experienced at that time when he died. That's, that was taking on the full weight of our sin. But God knew, and Jesus knew from his understanding of the word, that that investment and sacrifice that they made would not go away. It would actually multiply to Jesus' joy. And in, and in so doing, Jesus received an inheritance. We are his inheritance. There's two things about an inheritance that, that God wants us to understand as believers. First of all, we do receive an inheritance. We will be a part of the kingdom and receive an inheritance for being a co-heir with Christ and a part of the kingdom. But we also need to understand that we are an inheritance to Jesus. And that is one of the items that, that, that Paul wants us to, to pray to realize in a deeper and deeper way, because when we understand that we are an inheritance, that means we are a treasure. We are something that Jesus looks forward to collecting. Okay, so, so God and Jesus, they, they made this investment in sowing generously through his death in order for us to have life. And in so doing, Jesus obtained an inheritance and in so doing, sits on the throne as King of kings and Lord of lords, authorities, authority over all things in heaven and on earth. So it was a, it was a big investment, but it was a, it was a bigger return. That is something that God has built in to every single thing that he has created and to engage in generous sowing, to engage in generous giving is to, is to enter deeper into what it means to, to know God. The second principle, he said, is that everyone needs to decide in their heart what to give and that they are not to give reluctantly or under compulsion. I'm sure that you have had times where you have sensed somebody giving you something that they really didn't want to give you. You see this mostly with kids. <laughs> Nobody wants to receive a gift from somebody else where it is clear that they don't really want to give it. it, it it's all, you feel burdened to take a gift that somebody doesn't want to give. 
Well, God is the same way. God doesn't want to receive gifts from us. He doesn't want to receive um, sacrifices that were given grudgingly. He, God loves a joyful giver. God loves a joyful giver. And so he wants us to decide in our heart, which means that there needs to be sincerity. There needs to be, we're not, we're not holding our gift, we're not seeing it in contempt. We're not grudgingly giving. We don't look on it with disdain. So we need to be generous, we need to, have, we, we need to give of our first fruits, which means we give from what we have, not from what we have left over. The reason why first fruits are important is because it's the first thing we give. It, it, we make sure that we are giving what we've determined in our heart to give. It's not something that we're giving at the end of the month when we're like, oh, this isn't as much as I wanted to give. I'm, I'm feeling bad about that. That's not generous giving. That's not joyful giving. It needs to be sacrificial. So there is no, there is no New Testament command to the churches on how much to give. You see pre-Mosaic law, 10% used a few times, and there are a number of places in the law where you see 10%, but then they also had some other things that they have had to give in order to, to provide for the needs of the community and things like that. But there's, I think that's a good place to start, but there's, there's no command. And so what we need to do as individuals and as households, and sometimes as house churches, as we all saw in the book of Philippian, or Philemon that we looked at a couple weeks ago when we are looking at things to support from the standpoint of house churches and an organized church. We need to, to pray. We need to discuss and so, so that we have unity. We need to look at, okay, what are our responsibilities? Because we have responsibilities that God has given to us that we have to meet the needs for. And we have to hold these principles in, in, in tension, generous and first fruits and sacrificial and joyful. So if we enter into that process with a, with a desire to fulfill what God has called us to, um, and we're prayerful about it, and we've interacted with everybody who's involved in the giving, we should come to a place where we can say, yeah, here is what we want to give, and here is how we're going to give it. So that's the second principle. The first one is, is if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. The second one is um, everyone needs to decide in their heart. And third, God will sufficiently provide. Old Testament, New Testament, nation of Israel, the church, regardless, throughout the history of God's promises to his people, he has promised to provide for them. If they are faithful to him and remain in his word and abide in him and obey his commandments, a variety of ways that Jesus and the Old Testament prophets spoke of this, it says God will sufficiently provide. And it's not just so that our needs would be met. But as we see here in this text, it says that God is also going to provide for us so that we are able to abound in generous giving to others. So we will have our needs sufficiently met and we will be able to also generously meet the needs of others. That's what it means for God to provide. We will have what we need, and it will be overflowing so that we can meet the needs of other people. Too often we think like the world does. And, you know, if always <laughs> the media, whenever it's talking about 
wealth as a country and the rich and the poor, that this metaphor of a pie is always used. And there are, you know, there are fewer and fewer people getting more and more of the pie. The problem with that metaphor, not only from an economic standpoint, but especially from the standpoint of God, is that the economy is always growing. And so the pie is always growing. All right? There's, it's, it's not a stationary thing. And we oftentimes think of our resources as stationary or fixed. That is not the way that God works. God is not a pie that's limited in its ability to give. God's resources are without measure, the Scripture says. In fact, we are instructed to pray that God would provide for us according to his riches in glory in Christ, which are immeasurable and beyond our comprehension. And so if we don't see God and his resources and his ability to provide for us as this unmeasurable, unlimited amount of resource that he has to provide, um, and if we think of him as limited, then we are not going to be able to engage in a work of sacrificial giving as he's instructed us to. The book of Malachi, God instructs through that prophet to the nation of Israel who had been, he actually accused the nation of Israel of stealing from him because they had been negligent in their gifts to the, to the temple. And in Malachi, God tells them, put me to the test. Put me to the test. Do you want to see that I am faithful to my promises to abundantly provide for you if you follow my commands and give generously as I've instructed? Put me to the test. I will show you. I will prove to you that my word is true and that I am a faithful God. So that's the third. God will sufficiently provide. Number four. Our gifts to the progress of the gospel and to supporting the needs of the saints and to fulfilling the, the calling that God has given to us in terms of needs is not just for the meeting of needs. It's not just for the meeting of needs. It's an expression of worship. It's an expression of worship and thanksgiving to God. And not only is it our expression of worship and thanksgiving to God, we give because we feel that God is abundantly provided for us, what happens is those who receive our gifts also grow in their worship and thanksgiving to God for two reasons. One, they are praising God for our submission to the gospel. And in our submission to the gospel and obeying God in our giving, it also says it's a confession of the gospel. We are confessing the gospel when we follow God in our giving. Just like we confess the gospel when we participate in Lord's Suppers. It's the same idea. And we are all, they are also praising God because of, obviously, the generosity of the contribution to them. All of these things come down to our comprehension of the gospel. If we see and experience the gospel sparingly, 
we will give sparingly? Do we believe that God really can bring transformation to our lives? If so, sometimes we get stuck, and we get stuck because we're not really ready to confess and be vulnerable with our weaknesses and sins. Because there's some place in us, in our hearts and minds, and this is the process of growth for everybody, but at, at times we get stuck because we're not really ready to open up because we're not really, we, we don't really believe that the gospel has the power it does to change us, to confess our sins to brothers and sisters in the Lord, to express the desire to repent, because a lot of times we, we also just don't want to repent. We believe that whatever it is that we're holding on to for power or comfort or glory or pleasure, it's going to be better than what God can provide through his Holy Spirit and the gospel. And so this, in the same way that, that we are willing to become vulnerable to the gospel, the more we are willing to become vulnerable to the gospel and vulnerable to the Spirit and vulnerable to each other, the more we will experience the transforming power of God through the gospel, the Spirit, and the church, the same principles apply in our giving. The more we're willing to uh, release our funds to be vulnerable and sacrificial in regard to our monies, the more we are going to experience God's abundant provision in that. Can God really provide for our needs? And not just for our needs, but can God really provide for us to give generously? Well, he's done that, again, through, the, through what he did in Jesus Christ. He poured out all that he had, and he reaped abundantly more, and he's asking us to do the same. So as we think about, we're going to close this series, as we think about how to participate in the kingdom, as we think about what it means for us to meet the needs of the gospel and meet the needs of others um, I just wanted to kind of review the opportunities before us. Last week, we looked at pressing needs, and today we're looking at kingdom needs. We're wrapping them up together today, and so I have a handout in the, in the bulletin for this morning, and I've also posted the PDFs in the post that Lawrence posted on Friday for Sunday. And so there's a, there's a document called um, Twin Cities Church Pressing Needs and Kingdom Building Opportunities. And so I just want to kind of go quickly through these. I'm not going to, you can read them on your own for detail, but I'm just going to kind of walk through them and just explain where we're at this year in the opportunities that God has put before us to help build the kingdom here in the Twin Cities, in the state of Minnesota, and throughout the world. So many of you are familiar with Twin Cities Ministries. Uh, we provide discipleship and transitional housing uh, here in the Twin Cities for men and women and kids coming out of crime and substance abuse and addiction. Uh, we currently operate four homes for men and are helping with uh, a, a home for women and children. So there's five homes that we are active in. Uh, housing at any time, you know, 30, 35 people, depending on how many kids are in the, in the women's home. I don't have a specific need for that. We've got an ongoing budget. Uh, if you want to contribute, there's some instructions on there, um, and we have a, you know, we have a consistent budget and income now. We're not a startup anymore, and so 
but be aware that there's just there's kind of always always needs and opportunities there. The Man Up Club is a new partnership that we're forming with Corey Dean. He's the executive director and founder of the Man Up Club. It is a ministry specifically working with black young men to help them finish school, to help them learn a trade or a profession through college or vocational school, and to keep them out of the criminal justice system. As, I, as we did some initial research and interaction and networking uh, last summer, the overwhelming need from everybody is ministry to the youth. So that in that, in that critical stage of 12 to 20 years old, um, to get them headed on, the, on a right track rather than one in, in, criminal justice, in the criminal justice system. And it's, it's a, it, you know, all these killings that we're reading about and shootings in St. Paul and, and Minneapolis and throughout the metro, uh, by and large, is coming out of, of gang activity. And it's a long-term work, but to stem the tide, we've got to go in and, and solve some of the systemic issues that are present. And the Man Up Club, it's a young organization, but it's super effective and fruitful, and they're growing in their, in their size, and they, wanna, they want to, to multiply the clubs that they have in the schools now. COVID was a, was a hard year, obviously, because the schools were all closed and they couldn't run their clubs, but they're going to get those started this fall. They have a big event in September that there's a volunteer sign up for it's on the website it's out here listed you can go on their website and sign up we as a family are going to sign up and volunteer um, our goal for 2021 is to give that group thirty thousand dollars we've given them about 3500 so far so that's one of our we see that as a pressing need it's also a gospel and kingdom need because it's even though it's on a faith-based organization um, all the staff and the volunteers and employees are um, are christians and they have a very effective discipleship and evangelism ministry. I think they had 50 or 60 people come to Christ last year through their, through their efforts. And so uh, it's, they, they are networking with the, the governments and organizations and schools. Um, it's a solid group. Just this week, uh, Corey, uh, the executive director, called me up because we talk, we've talked a little bit about, about how Twin Cities Ministries can help them out uh, because they occasionally run into some black young men that are homeless. And so on Friday afternoon, he calls me up and says, George, I got a guy, I haven't, he's, he's kind of been in and out of our organization for the last few months, but he's homeless and he's in need. Well, I was able to call up Tim. I said, Tim, you guys got a room? So immediately, Tim met Corey and this, this young man at one of our houses. Unfortunately, uh, he wasn't sober and he didn't want to stay sober, and that, which is about 75% of the requests we get. And so if they don't if they're not sober at the time but want to commit to getting the help, we can work with that. If, if they're not sober and don't want any help, we, we can't have them in the homes. It's just, we're not a wet house. It's a dry house. It's a sober house. Um, but it was, it was great for Corey to see our ability to immediately try to help them out and meet that need. Tim gave, him, Tim gave Corey a $200 prepaid Visa card for him to go get some food and take care of his car. And so those guys work hard at a very challenging ministry, and we're just hoping that these, these, these grow here in the Twin Cities. Minnesota and North America, we give almost $5,000 annually to Acts 29. Acts 29 supports evangelism and church planning here in North America and around the world where it's needed most. And then $2,400 annually to Transform Minnesota, which is obviously a Minnesota organization here that's just trying to strengthen and unite Twin Cities churches and um, ministries. And that's how we came into contact with the Man Up Club. So it's a great ministry there. Globally, these are projects that we've been involved with for a little while, and most of you are all familiar with them. 
One of the greatest needs that exists in large networks of churches and large evangelism efforts globally is discipleship and leadership training. One of the things, it's, I think it's a characteristic of, of just maybe evangelism ministries in the last 50 or 60 years, especially in um, India and Southeast Asia, a lot of energy and effort given to evangelism. Very, very little effort um, and energy given to discipleship and leadership development. So what happens is you have a lot of people coming to Christ and a lot of churches get established, but then fail within the first or second generation because they haven't been established. Their understanding of the gospel is weak. And so in these kinds of situations, we've, we've been invited into two of them. So we've been working in Portugal and Mozambique for um, about four years now. And uh, these, these networks invited us in, and they're translating our materials, and we're providing some training. Our goal for, for Portugal and Mozambique is, is $10,000 for this year. We've given 1000 Now, in India, because I want you to look at the second handout. It's a, uh, some slides. This, this, is a, um, this is a report from the International Mission Board. Now, the International Mission Board is the Southern Baptists' mission, uh, international missions effort. And the, um, so they do very, they, it's, it's one of the largest global evangelism and church planning ministries uh, in the world. And so these, this report and these statistics um, would, would reflect broader currents that are, that are going on globally. So if you look at, if you look at um, the first slide, new believers reported in 2020. So South Asia is the first one, and you can read across the other ones. South Asia is basically India and the few countries surrounding it. So if you look at the new believers, you can see that there is just an explosion of evangelism and conversions in South Asia. Same with new churches. And so when you, when, you, when you talk about or think about or pray about participating in the expansion and the building of the, of the kingdom of God through the gospel, uh, as the Lord said this morning, you've got to look at where the kingdom of God is expanding and growing. And so God has called us into this project in India through a variety of really interesting situations that I don't have the time to describe now. And so also, they are, it's a, a small network of about 150 families that are going into to villages that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, and they are starting house churches. Very aggressive evangelism effort. They had no discipleship or leadership training tools. And so God connected us to them. They saw what we were doing in Mozambique. They said, we would like to do that as well. They've translated Rooted, tra they are translating Called, it's, it's transforming their families and their house churches. And so last year we gave $84,000 to them just to support them through COVID, just to support them through COVID. And we actually didn't give anything to that project last year for the, actually the, the ministry. I had some funds that I used for one trip, we were with them for three days. And through that, God has opened up this great relationship and opportunity. We'd like to do $21,000 to that effort um, this year, and uh, 6,600 has been given. In addition to that, and Jonathan Kuruptati was here a few weeks ago, 
we all know that India has been just slammed with COVID. The case counts at this point from about three weeks ago are about half. They're down to about 150, 200,000 cases, new cases a day. Deaths are still at around 4,000 a day, which is where they were at three weeks ago. That usually takes three or four weeks to trail behind the cases. Um, we're working with Jonathan. We're working with our existing network in India. Um, we'd like to, to see if we can do $16,000 in the next month or so to meet to those immediate uh, needs in terms of food and medical needs and bills and things like that. It's, just, it's, it's really relief money. It's really relief money. And so you can see the summaries, you can, you can see the summaries that are there. Last year, so the total goal for this year in terms of these pressing needs and ministry efforts, our total goal for this year is about 82,000. We've got about 65,000 left. Last year, we gave 123,000 to these ministries, which, you guys, I, I looked over these numbers, and I just go over these, and I, and I look at our budget, and I'm just like, how in the world are we able to do this? <laughs> and I put these numbers before the finance team and the governance team, and they're like, yeah, we, we did more than this last year. Maybe we'll do the same. I, it's, I, I've just been overwhelmingly thankful to God for the generosity that you have all shown to these, to these people and to these ministries in meeting these needs. And so to close, I just want to say a few things about us here locally. We started the year with a $35,000 a month budget, by God's grace. We're at about $37,000 a month right now. We, we added all those various meetings, um, and so that's why our expenses have been higher uh, up to this point. I don't, know if, I don't know how many of you know, but up to this point, Lawrence has only been part-time with us. We would like to put Lawrence on full-time beginning this fall because we see the next 18 months through 2022 as a real um, rebuilding and strengthening time. We'd like to hit the next 18 months really hard, have him on full-time to address the things we need to grow and strengthen in. Um, youth, evangelism, counseling, leadership development, starting more house churches, um, rather than get to the end of, the, of 2022 and, and, and be weak. And so we're actually going to be spending a little bit more <laughs> than we are taking in each month. But by God's grace and the effectiveness of the finance team and your all generosity, we've got some healthy reserves and we want to make that investment. And so that's where we're heading. Those are the needs before us. And so we, we are excited for the next uh, 18 months ahead. It's been a challenging season. We've got a lot of needs and opportunities before us, and, and I'm going to trust that God is going to continue to generously provide for our needs and for the needs of others as we continue to seek Him. Let me pray. Lord God, we do thank you so much for overwhelmingly providing for us through Jesus Christ, for giving us life for taking the power of sin and death away and enabling us to enter into a relationship with you to experience your fullness, the experience of the Holy Spirit that you have poured out, all of the resources of heaven that you have poured out, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ that lives in us. And so God, our prayer is that you would continue to strengthen us to abide in you, to walk in your name, to walk in your spirit, to experience 
the fullness of your provision, that we would not only be able to say that you've been faithful to us, but that we would be able to meet the needs of others so that you, Lord God, would be worshiped and glorified in all that we do. In your son's precious name we pray, amen.